Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week we're talking about primary maths and tutoring in primary maths. We start off by talking about the absolute critical importance of early maths achievement and why intervention can be so useful for making sure that children really are picking up those important building blocks of maths early on. We're going to hear from an assistant head teacher at a school that uses tutoring, a tutoring provider and our friends at the Centre for Education and Youth who have been doing a bit of research and evaluation of what good tutoring and maths interventions look like. So I hope you find it useful. As you will hear throughout, I am not very good at maths, so it was a lot of (laughs) maths chat for me. But as ever, the podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out keysupport.com. Today, I'm joined by Mike Foster, who is Assistant Head at Thorntree Academy in Middlesbrough. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Hello. And Tom Hooper founder and CEO at Third Space Learning. Thank you, Caroline. Hi, Tom. And Baz Ramaya, who is an associate at the Centre for Education and Youth. Hi, Baz. Hi, Caroline. Lovely to have you all here. And we are going to be talking about maths tutoring today um, and the work that CFEY did on exploring the need for maths tutoring Third Space Learning is a provider of maths tutoring and Mike has had some tutoring at his school. Uh, So, but we'll kick off with uh, an opportunity for everyone to introduce themselves a bit. So Mike, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your school? Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. I'm Mike Foster. I'm the assistant head teacher at Thorntree Academy in Middlesbrough. Um, I've been teaching here since 2014. I currently lead on a curriculum across the school, oversee subject leadership um, across school, and also as part of the SLT within school to make those strategic calls and decisions with regards to funding budgets and all of that sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> in, in terms of our school, we are in a, a catchment area which is highly deprived. We currently serve around 80% of children who are entitled to pupil premium grant, um, and therefore it's absolutely vital for us to ensure that because we're in a an area of disadvantage that we can do all that we possibly can to ensure that all of our learners make the progress that they deserve to have and provide the curriculum that they deserve to have to um, close that gap between them and, and the other pupils across the country. Um, our pupils are wonderful. We are we are a school where we, we encourage all children to learn, to thrive and to celebrate and we ensure that they're all given the opportunity to do that um, by bespoke curriculum by whatever they need to ensure that they can make success. Um, we, we really prioritise pupils' next steps in learning and thinking around employment opportunities and the capacity for them to go into employment once they leave our academy and through secondary schools. Um, so that's always in the forefront of our minds when we're planning opportunities for the pupils that we have here. Um, we have low proportions of children who are English as an additional language and we have quite a high proportion of pupils who are registered with special educational needs. Um, yeah, so that's a bit about us and where we are at the moment. Lovely. And Tom, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course, Karen. Thank you. And thanks for having us on um, on the podcast. So I founded Third Space Learning in 2013. Um, 
And the, I suppose, the intent of the business is to work in partnership with schools to make one-to-one tuition um, accessible to children in need. So the the way we've gone about doing that um, with the intent of providing high-scale, high-quality, but, but affordable tuition was to recruit and train math specialists in uh, India and Sri Lanka, where we have access to a huge new population of um, well-qualified, um, passionate mathematicians. Um, and then to deliver that uh, online one-to-one tuition in a manner that can be integrated with class teaching and class strategies, helping to target the learning gaps of children who are falling behind. Um, since 2013, we've delivered over 1.1 million hours of teaching to I think it's just shy of 100,000 children now in around 3,000 schools. Um, so there's a lot we still need to improve on, but, but there's a, a wealth of evidence around the potential for this model that we've developed over the last eight years to, to really make a big difference. Um, around 45% of the children we work with are eligible for pupil premium. So certainly the, the schools we work with and indeed how those schools are using first-based learning is very much, um, I suppose, solving the problem that we're aiming to try and help solve, which is the maths attainment gap that Baz and the team at CFEY have so clearly articulated, so clearly and urgently articulated. Great stuff. And um, yeah, obviously, um, Mike, your school there with 80% of um, pupil pupil premium, um, you know, really um, a disadvantaged area that you're that you're serving um, can really see the alignment there between you two. And Baz, why don't you tell us a little bit about about yourself and the report? Sure. Thanks, Caroline. And uh, thanks for having uh, having me on as well. Um, so uh, my name is Baz. I'm an associate at the Centre for Education and Youth. Uh, in practice, that mainly means I am a researcher working on a really wide range of um, topics that uh, are of interest to our organisation. Uh, I also am on our policy team at the organisation, which means that I spend some time monitoring what's going on in the world of education and youth policy, uh, writing uh, commentary and response pieces to what's going on, and also trying to connect with other people who are working uh, as policymakers or uh, adjacent to world of policymakers. And I guess with that in mind, you can see how we uh, as an organization, and me in particular, might end up being interested in this topic of uh, tutoring, uh, particularly given how much of the current education policy zeitgeist has been built around uh, increasing access to tutoring. Um, and that was where our interest in working with third space learning manifested is um, our kind of ambient understanding of what some of the issues were with delivering tutoring programs at scale, get, getting a sense that third space learning were working to um, overcome some of those like real primary barriers to access for young people. And our report could be thought of as being composed of two parts. One is a, a diagnostic uh, part in which we look at the, uh, the available data and the available literature to highlight what the challenges are related to um, tutoring in, uh, in maths and numeracy, particularly for young people at an early age. What are those challenges to access? How do those challenges manifest um, in terms of young people's overall outcomes, both their educational outcomes, but also their wider life outcomes, and therefore uh, assembling a case for the power of early high quality uh, numeracy uh, intervention tutoring for um, kids at a young age. And then the latter part of our paper could be to talk, talk about, uh, could be thought of as um, 
an analysis of third space learning's work to try and show how many of the problems that we highlighted in the, the first half are resolved by some of the kind of uh, important work that third space learning are doing. And then also we do some agenda setting in there in terms of thinking about like what's next in terms of um, uh, for third space learning, but also for the tutoring sector at large in terms of trying to um, build, improve, extend capacity to meet some of the broader challenges that we are highlight in that first part of our work. Um, so yeah, hopefully that gives like a bit of a brisk overview, but I'm very happy to answer more questions. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, um, the, the, the report, um, A Space for Maths, will, will pop a link um, in the notes from this podcast. Um, articulates really clearly I mean something that is you know we all know the educational importance of early maths achievement uh, really clearly could you could you maybe share some of those findings with us to uh, sort of start us off in this conversation yeah I think the kind of almost the the sort of flagship finding for us the kind of big headline one for us really is we uh, did some original data analysis using just the um, DFE standard caches of uh, achievement data and found that there's a higher correlation between uh, early maths achievement and later maths achievement than there is earlier English achievement and later English achievement, which therefore puts a higher premium on higher quality, on early earlier maths achievement and therefore higher quality early maths instruction, given the well-established relationship between quality, quality of instruction and uh, academic achievement. And that for us is a really central finding in terms of emphasizing the importance of this early maths, achieve, uh, maths intervention, because uh, another thing that we found out um, frequently when surveying the tutoring literature is that actually um, much of the research that is extant that is out there is frequently into um, programs that are oriented around literacy, um, programs that are oriented around improving um, uh, reading in particular, at an early age and maths is frequently neglected and given this kind of um you know this this, this substantial finding about the fact that that uh will uh undermine young people's ability to achieve uh in maths later on in life more so than it will their ability to achieve well in english later on in life um places this new importance on early uh, maths intervention particularly through the mode of tutoring quite and uh, you know, I, I I speak as someone who would would class themselves as not very good at, at maths. <laughs> and um, having um, conversation on the podcast actually a few weeks ago about um, you know children learning at home supported by parents who don't don't know or understand enough about maths themselves, learn different methods and approaches to doing things, and 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 find supporting more difficult than they would say for. For reading, and I think what what your report does is really make clear that the process of learning maths is quite different to to reading. And I wonder, if Mike and Tom, feel free to to chip in um, if we could talk a little bit about exactly why that is. Empirically, we've observed the problem that Basna team have so um, have articulated so well in the research. In the number of schools we work with and, and what the problems they talk to us about um, in terms of why and how they're using third space is, uh, so the, there's two parts to it. One is making sure that the benefit of one-to-one can be targeted at individual learning gaps that child has to ensure that the building blocks that are so important are not missed out. And I think that, you know, when, when Baz and the team talk about the, the critical nature of key stage two for success at key stage four, I mean, I think we all kind of probably remember that from actually learning maths ourselves. If you don't know the 
times tables, it's harder to do multiplying fractions. If you don't understand angles, it's harder to do Pythagoras. Like those building blocks are absolutely critical. And what we've seen time and time again alongside that, that if those building blocks are not there, not only is the, the knowledge lacking, but critically the confidence is lacking as well. And, and so often when we work with schools, the, the key benefit that Third Space and indeed most one-to-one -one provides is helping to build confidence in these children. They can master that concept. They can master maths and then go back into the classroom um, in a way that they can really engage with the wider class learning, the wider class strategies and, and really build on that. Um, and I know it's it's referenced within the report that they talk about maths anxiety, but it's it's such a big thing for children who are falling behind and, and often for children from disadvantaged backgrounds that um, which which one-to-one -one tutoring can can really help to solve. Um, and so kind of there's the academic side of it, but there's also the emotional side of it that um, that you know in, in the hundred thousand children we've worked with has been a, a common denominator throughout everything we've done and indeed the, everything we've built, the tutor training we provide and the reporting we provide back to schools. So um, I, I think it's, there are so many threads within the, the report that really reflect what we've seen um, through years and years of experience working with schools now. And, and, and Mike, is, what, what would you say are the sort of main differences between kind of te teaching and, and learning in, in, in maths and literacy? I think when we came back from, from lockdown and we looked at the data that we had and discussions we had amongst our SLT and obviously our English and maths leaders was that there was a bigger difference in terms of the attainment within mathematics and it was, we, we discussed and we sort of investigated why that was and we, we felt that the, the common principles of reading lie within five strands or five particular skills that the children would basically be developing over the whole of the time that they're in school. So moving from early phonics through to being able to retrieve information and interpret that information, basically, <clears throat> if they can apply that at more complex levels through different texts, then they can read and develop reading. Um, and despite being away from school, we could still have parents support that concept and be able to do that at home. The fact that maths is so vast and at the planning and the principles of planning within school, to cleverly link all of the concepts within maths, it's so difficult um, unless you've got a, a really clear set of teaching principles and a really quality progressive curriculum to reciprocate and to sort of replicate that at home. There's a lot more difficult for parents to support their pupils with. Um, and, and for one reason, it might be, you talked about some about anxiety of maths within pupils. We have a lot of anxiety of maths within our parents to support the pupils at home as well. Um, so, so we sort of come to the conclusion that reading we can support and build upon skills layer upon layer once they can decode but maths if they've missed a massive chunk of something a massive chunk of con um, fractions or whatever it is you do have to backwards plan to fill that gap um, and that's currently the position we're in we're looking back to move to move the pupils forward trying to develop that confidence because obviously if we're going in at the level that they should be at if they're not all there we're only heightening the anxiety that the pupils have so we've got to make sure that as a school, we stick to our guns and go in at the level that we know the children are and move them forward rapidly. We've got to accept the position that we're at. It, it, there's a really interesting point that Mike makes there about um, parents not having the confidence in maths and then the challenge that presents to children who are also struggling. Um, and I know that within the CFEY report, it talked about um, 
earning loss for children who are struggling with with maths over the lifetime. There's been there's been other research that's that's pointed to this as well, um, and the numbers are, are staggering. But from a social point of view, that link between parents who are struggling with maths and the impact that can have on social mobility for them, and then the feedback back to their children, and trying to break that that circle, um, is something that I think is is incredibly important and is often underestimated. These are sadly kind of deep trends that are hard to break and, and they're not just broken in a, in a, in a year or two. Um, and we really, really need to recognize that. I, I don't know what the solution is, but um, I think we, we, need to, uh, we need to understand that when we're, when we're looking at the problem and what long, long-term solutions might need to be supported. Everything uh, Tom and Mike have said on um, uh, maths anxiety in parents, like lack of confidence in maths is so spot on. And it's really interesting looking at how this um, is brought out in the literature where there's more detailed work on how this, um, this manifests in parents and also how it's like vertically transmitted from parents to, to, uh, to their children. Um, some of it is through um, parents struggling to help their child with homework and, and parents are often hesitant to use old techniques in case they um, are not appropriate or if it means it's a reflection of their misunderstanding of the maths itself. But there's other things as well in terms of those mechanisms by which this anxiety gets transmitted. Some of it can be um, young people seeing their parents struggle with um, measurements and quantities, struggling with uh, calculations, literally saying in some cases that they're, you know, not necessarily a mathsy person. And what that contributes to is a, a kind of a, a conceptualization of maths by young people whereby it is this kind of um, binary phenomena whereby you're either good at maths, you're not good at maths, and there's very little one can do. Uh, you just fall into one of those camps one way or another. And the power of high quality early instruction is to show young people that that conceptualization of maths is wrong. And actually like, you know, maths is a, uh, a skill at maths is a kind of continuous dimension. And you can get better at it through like improved um, instruction or through working harder or through whatever the other kind of channels are of improving outcomes. So that being another kind of crucial variable that can often end up in uh, young people underperforming in maths. And uh, like Tom says, targeting that, um, that, that those attitudes towards maths can be just as important as targeting the actual uh, academic outcomes uh, of uh, maths education. And it is it is striking that it is is socially acceptable. I mean, I just said it. I'm not very good at maths. Um, but if I was not very good at reading, I probably wouldn't tell you. Um, you hmm. know, I'd be ashamed of that, and it and it would have been and it would have been much more limiting, um, in you know, to to my career prospects. But you do draw out in in the research that actually um, there is there is a significant cost in in later life if you if you do struggle um, with numeracy. But Baz, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course, Caroline. So um, we kind of looked at the economic consequences of um, uh, poor achievement or underachievement in maths in kind of two overlapping ways. One is looking at it at a kind of like individual level and one is looking at a kind of like population level in terms of the impact it has on the, uh, the economy writ large. Um, at an individual level, there was um, a study uh, by the uh, DfE, which was showing that the, uh, the marginal return 
on an extra GCSE grade in maths was approximately double that of an extra grade in English, which is to say that having a um, higher grade in maths relative to having a higher grade in English um, makes makes a much a much larger difference to one's overall lifetime earnings, um, which again sort of uh, aligns with our findings about the uh, predictive power of like early maths achievement. In terms of looking at it from a kind of um, uh, a more population level, uh, there is some research by the by National Numeracy to suggest that uh, underachievement in maths for a particular individual can result in uh, lower average earnings of about £1,600 less per year. And that can cash out to being about like £25 billion for the whole economy in terms of uh, lost productivity and lost earnings. Um, pro bono economics had a similar estimate, which was closer to about £20.2 billion. Um, and although there's a little bit of variance there, the, the, the pattern is clear that um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cost both at the individual level and there's a cost both at the population level in terms of the opportunity cost in like lost potential earnings and lost potential productivity um, by underachievement in maths. And um, with my kind of like policy hat on, um, this is interesting in terms of um, the government's uh, recent agenda on improving um, skills for employment and skills for um, uh, high wage growth, but also the um, recently announced uh, white paper on uh, illiteracy and innumeracy and how that will feed into um, how that feeds into and aligns with this kind of push for a um, high skill, high growth economy. Yeah, and it's interesting to speculate a lot of, you know, um, technical or scientific um, subjects that somebody may want to pick up and study later on in life or or, or, or switch careers around. Um, You will be coming back to that maths. And if you don't have that confidence, that will that will be a barrier to you progressing further. So I think people do, I mean, sort of put their school experience of maths if they didn't enjoy it or weren't successful at it in a box. Um, And there will will be points in your adult life where actually it is it is important to you. Mike, you, you told us a little bit about um, kind of uh, your experience of, of children coming coming back into school away from remote remote learning. Is is there anything else um, about about them more generally or, or maths in in particular um, that 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 you that you've noticed um, this term? I think we've had to strip it back a lot more to more to, to the root sort of concepts within mathematics. I think. Um, when we're delivering basic skills lessons and, and those sort of um, like arithmetic style lessons in all of those areas, the pupils seem to be quite fluent in, in that particular strand of mathematics and they can um, complete the activities within class. I think where it falls down sometimes for us as an academy and it's something that we're working on is when they're expected to apply those skills or concepts into potential word problems or different contexts which they might not um, experience before and teaching them to be able to link the mathematics across different concepts to be able to really unpack a problem. And I think sometimes for them, there's a lot that they have to or expect to do. And because, um, you know, when they're managing the cognitive load, sometimes it becomes overload and they can't deal with everything that's going on within a particular problem. So for us as a school, in terms of our focus, it's to really drill down into the skill of accessing a problem and unpacking it and looking what the maths is um, and ensuring that there's a consistency of approach to that across school. Um, because of obviously where we're serving, vocabulary is quite weak, particularly within maths. So we have a lot of focus around vocabulary within school at the moment, 
exposing pupils to mathematical vocabulary, but also different tiers of vocabulary across the curriculum. And it's articulating and getting children to be able to use that vocabulary. Um, and when we start to talk a little bit further about third space later on, one of the pros of the third space learning tutoring is, is it, it helps to enhance our vocabulary use of the school, lots of the conversations that pupils are having. And it's all about our teachers talking maths and delivering sentence stems, having those conversations with pupils in a really vocabulary rich environment to ensure that they're exposed to it so that when they're accessing it within a particular problem, because they've heard it so much, it, it triggers something in the long-term memory and they can draw upon that to help help them. Um, like I said, we're very good at the basic elements, but it's, it's really delving down into complex um, concepts that is a focus for us at the moment. And I'm sure it's not just for us as well. Great stuff. Perhaps we could move on um, to talk a bit about, about why you decided to um, work with a, a tutoring provider and, and maybe why you chose Third Space Learning. Obviously, being where we are, we, we attract quite a high proportion of pupil premium funding and it's it's as a leadership team ensuring that that's spent on the best possible um, elements for the pupils to make accelerated progress um, to close that gap with them and the peers, which is really crucial for us. It wasn't since the pandemic that we've used tutoring partners. We've used them for quite a long time now. And I think the principle that we took upon it was that we were trying to look at different and inventive ways for pupils to engage, particularly within maths. I think before when we were discussing, there's a lot of options around reading and writing and lots of interventions that can be you know, put into, into different areas of school. But when you look at the sort of, and strip it back to maths, there are a few, but there's not really a lot that has that really high impact um, in terms of outcomes for pupils. You can obviously assess entry and exit data on, on the programmes and show the progress that way. But what we wanted to, to be able to do was to allow our pupils to be able to be confident within maths, articulate maths and access, access maths at their level. And I think that's the difference between them having like a one-to-one um, intervention within school on a programme that begins here and ends here and it doesn't deviate from the plan until you get to the end. Whereas we wanted something that was responsive to pupil need, but also allowed us to spend the pupil premium grant effectively. Um, and prior to becoming an academy in 2020, we worked with um, Julie DeVille, who's our CEO, and she recommended that we take a look at third space because other schools within our academy trust use it. Um, and although initially we took the decision not to, our maths outcomes were something that we needed to continually focus on. So we went back to it and actually we are pleased that we did go back to it. That's, that's good to hear. And you, you talked a little bit there about, about how, it, how it links in and reinforces and particularly, as you're saying, the vocabulary that you're using across school. Could you, could you maybe tell us a little bit, a bit more about, about that interaction and, and how it works alongside what you're doing? And then maybe some reflections on that from, from you, Tom, as well. It, it's really useful for us as a school because... When, when you register the pupils, they take an initial assessment based on, you know, what they can and can't do. And then you can select different packages depending on how you want to tailor it to the pupils' needs. So you could either run the diagnostic check and then third space will pick up the gaps and plug the gaps and move the children through. Or equally, you can have a teacher-selected led objective. So if I'm teaching place value in maths this half term, I can align my third space sessions with what I'm doing within class. So it's we take the strategic decision, it's, it's dependent on the needs of the context of the cohort. It, that depends on 
what we do with the pupils in terms of their sessions. But on the, on the ground, when the pupils are with, within maths lessons, it's like it's going back to before about confidence. We can see a distinct difference in our school in, in the children's ability to articulate maths of, of those who access the intervention and those who don't. Um, you can see that they're used to having those, com those conversations around maths. And because it's one-to-one -one and the tutors are reinforcing that vocabulary with them, they're able to articulate much more confidently. Um, and, I, and I think the way that the tutors are with the pupils, it's not in a threatening environment at all. And therefore, they're more willing to make mistakes. And I think that's one of the, the barriers to maths is often, oh, well, you've made a mistake, it's wrong. You know, you need to get it right next time. It's sort of unpicking that and really addressing what's gone wrong and how we can make it better next time. Um, so I think third space in that sense has been really pivotal for us to move that vocabulary on and the way that children perceive maths it's, it's been great for us and i've said that i've said that before yeah and 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 tom can you tell us a bit about the sort of design and and, and how how schools can make sure it, it really aligns with what they're doing yeah and it's 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 great to might say that because it's it's entirely in practice with what space learning was built for in principle um and i think a lot of that is down to we were built solely around the reality of, of schools and teachers in the classroom we were not a, an agency or a marketplace that, that decided to try and sell to schools in the last year and a half we've been doing this for eight years and so the very kind of rhythm of school life and reality of school life is what we've built and learned and tested and improved around so I mean, first and foremost, like the reality is school budgets are very tight. There is not money washing around for tutoring. Um, and the and so we had to try and build something that could be affordable if we were actually to work with schools to help close the maths payment gap. Hence, starting with a problem, building back to the solution, trying to access additional tutoring supply in India and Sri Lanka. Um, I think in regards how we align with class teaching to make sure that we're reinforcing those strategies that was the critical component of the design so teachers can either pick the individual lesson or, or direct the strand of learn, learning that informs the program design online assessment diagnoses the children's learning each child's learning gaps we then have um, hundreds of lessons designed of individual learning objectives that populate each weekly one-to-one -one session so that the session is very structured and scaffolding to scaffolded to really try and manage quality. Um, and, and one of the points that, that Mike made about vocabulary is really important. So the each lesson, each slide within the learning objective, each learning objective within the lesson um, is designed by our curriculum team with the um, vocabulary, with the um, examples, with the questions, that help both help to visualize and bring the concept to life as the tutor talks them through it. So there's both the one-to-one, -one, but also the, the little bit literal visualization of the vocabulary. And that makes a really big difference for children who both from a reading and, and kind of overall comprehension perspective are still struggling. So all components of assessment, content design, one-to-one -one interaction, and indeed the, the tutor training, a lot of tutors um, complete a three-week initial training program, and then have weekly one-to-one -one, um, CPD from their academic managers. So we have a very um, 
we invest a lot in training and development because obviously it's really, really important. And the key component of that is building a growth mindset or within the, the pupils that they work with. So how do you build rapport? How do you ask good questions? How do you solicit good questions from your students? How do you give good feedback? How do you encourage them? Which I know is obvious to say that to, to teachers because that's that's their craft, but it's essential that we invest in the training of our tutors to make sure that they are delivering that so that the, we overcome anxiety, we build confidence, so that they can take that learning forward into back into class and for long-term math success in addition to the key concepts within the program of, of tuition that they're receiving. So kind of all, all roads lead toward that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's the sort of, it's within the, the DNA of, of what we do, what we've built, what we've learned over the years and, and through the million plus hours of teaching that we've delivered so far. Yeah, I think Tom's talking about the lesson design in terms of the third first sessions. Um, because it moves from guided practice through to independent practice for the pupil, but it scaffolds the learning along the way. The sessions are organised very much in the same way that we would expect our teachers to teach across school. So um, we would expect that <clears throat> within a teaching exposition, they, they take them from that really being dependent on the class teacher through that guided practice element, and then put in examples of hinge questions or really quick assessment tools within the sessions to move the pupils forward or to support where needed. And those principles are embedded in our practice, but it's also really heartening that they're embedded through the, the tutoring as well, um, because best practice dictates that that's the cycle you would go through to in, ensure outcomes for pupils. So that's really heartening. And obviously there's, there's the hub as well, where we can draw resources from as well, which staff use, which is really good um, too. So it does support with the tutoring, but also support staff in terms of um, accessing lessons, because we could basically pull off a an autumn terms worth of lessons and use it to inform our own teaching so yeah it's really powerful stuff sometimes and, and in in terms of the the practicalities when when do the children do do their sessions and what kind of feedback do you get as a, as a school um you know from from their, their time spent with their tutors we would have it as an addition to the maths lesson um Historically, it has been done during maths, but we wanted it to be an additional. Mm -hmm. um, as we said, we don't want them to take, be taken from high quality maths teaching to have tutoring during maths time. Um, so that would be on an afternoon um, on around about two o'clock towards the end of the school day. We are looking into potentially moving forward, providing some um, tutoring after school. Obviously, with the, the funding grants that schools are getting, we're looking at how we are going to, to deploy that funding and what that might look like for us. In terms of the feedback from the pupils, they, they do love growing. Um, and because it's within my cohort at the moment, because I'm teaching within year five, so we've got some children who are accessing it from that, um, and I support the sessions. And, and it is really positive afterwards to come out feeling really confident. And it's not just me saying it. it, it I wouldn't say it if it wasn't truly. One of the boys within my class said, that's the best I've done in, in maths you know, for a long time. and came out really feeling positive about it. Um, but I think it's because of the way that it's organised and it's diagnostic to their needs. Um, it ensures that it's pitched correctly. Indeed. And as, as, as we were saying at the beginning of the podcast, really, tutoring is obviously a, a hot topic, um, a hotter topic because of because of catch up. And we know that, you know, there's obviously the, the school led option um, and, and and external providers. 
Mike, did you have any any con- and concerns about using tutors from from outside the school? I think it depends on who the tutors are and the reputation that they hold um, and the outcomes that they've, they've sort of achieved. I think in terms of third space, we wouldn't hesitate to use them because of actually the affordability for us for the school, but actually the impact that it has on outcomes as well. Um, and the reports and everything that we can pull from there, the data, we can use that to sort of um, <clears throat> to reinforce our pupil premium statement to prove the impact of the worth. And it does come back to that sometimes proving that it's cost effective. Um, but I know at the moment we're looking at potentially using some in-school tutoring and potentially using tutoring partners as well. Um, I know that we're just waiting to hear from third space regards to whether they've been selected for the, the tutoring programme. And that's something that we wait to, to hear the decision basically Great. And we've, we've spoken a little bit about, about the impact and the importance of impact reporting. Tom, was there anything that you wanted to say about, about how, you, how you give that information back to schools? Yeah, so we, we provide weekly reports that help teachers to track the progress across every pupil on first-based learning. Um, for both so they can help feed that back into class, but, but also, frankly, so they can see that they're getting their money's worth. You know, it's we are the most affordable one-to-one provider, but still, you know, budgets are a stretch, so they've they've got to be confident they're getting value for money. Um, we also publish a, an impact report, which um, we can put in the show notes if you know, alongside the CFEY report, if you like, which which is which helps to sum everything we learn and demonstrate um, across all the schools that we work with. Which, for anyone who's interested in first-based learning, would definitely be worth a read. Um, so I think what we have to cater to is, is kind of two, um, realities within schools. One, they want progress reports quite rightly to help inform their teaching and, and to help track the investment they're making in first-based learning. But two, often actually what we get judged on in, in reality is, is that observation of the children interacting with it. Time and time again, we get told it. A child who is not saying anything in class, doesn't have the confidence to put their hand up, is really struggling, will then have their one-to-one sessions with their third-space tutor and will start talking, will start engaging, just like Mike said, will then then believe they can do it. And, and that breakthrough is that magic moment that... that you know, that gives teachers the confidence of the impact it, it's having. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, as much as we always want quantifiable data and we, we provide that, um, I think it's, it's teachers' judgment and trust and the confidence that children come out of their sessions with that is, is often actually the most important factor. And you can see it, we've got dozens of case studies on our websites and, and we, we do try and track the um, the change in confidence of ch- children over the program, but uh, in truth, I think it's often teacher observation that is just so powerful, um, and um, and is to be embraced and trusted. Frankly, so you know, we we definitely support that. Well, it it, it paints a very complementary picture, as as you were saying, Mike. You know, you're delivering high quality teaching of these these concepts it's just that some children will master them at different different rates and you know that tutoring will support those who are struggling to to kind of get back back in the in the game 
Um, and you know, in, 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 and as you say, there's a, there's a way to align the, the curriculum and the, and the support. So it's, it's you know, um, in contrast to the example of a parent who's confused about maths pulling a child in, in the opposite direction, you've got everybody, everybody focused on that child being successful. And, and it's great. It's great to hear about those those experiences of, of children at your at your school, Mike. Um, Tom, obviously, the, the, the program has has evolved and, and, and changed. You keep talking about how you, how you sort of refining what you do. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about about how Third Space um, has developed. Yeah, of course. And I mean, it's, it's developed a lot since 2013. I think if I, if I try and plot the main points of, of change through that, I, I think the, the first was the introduction of, of diagnostic and ongoing assessment to identify learning gaps and to help track progress and, and kind of ongoing personalization throughout that program, which was something that um, A, um, was, was good best practice, but B, allowed teachers to retain control over the direction um, and kind of purpose of the program, whilst also allowing them to be a little bit more hands-off as well, because as we know, teachers are incredibly busy. So that was very, very important for us. Um, I think secondly, then the the way we build the curriculum. So we've we've talked about the benefit of having very structured lesson plans, but the the design of the curriculum that sits around it and how um, I suppose granular that is in terms of deconstructing the curriculum into concepts, into learning objectives to help with that personalization and the quality of tutoring interactions has been a big piece of work and that was an important step. Um, we, we've also, I think one of the things that many, I think that's about 95% of schools will know us for, we provide a lot of resources to support teachers, a lot of free resources to support teachers and then indeed premium resources for our uh, um, tutoring as schools who use us for tutoring um, and that's because it, it, it's, it fits with our goal of, of helping providing a service to support teachers in their goal of closing the maths attainment gap so as that's flourished from dozens to hundreds to thousands of resources I think that's built a, a sort of deep engagement with maths teachers across the country um, and in, in particular within schools that use us for tuition um, and then I think the final point was would be that historically we were probably more skewed toward year six because of SATs, very understandably within schools. I think the last couple of years we've really seen this move from year six to year five to year four, not really below year four. Um, and then in, in and then over the last twelve months increase up to year seven, and actually up to GCSE as well. Um, so we're kind of we're covering a, a wider um, age group where I suppose the, the the problem is you know exists you know across key stage two three and four um, but certainly the the way we built the or developed the the service and the program design and the resources to support teachers um, has taken those key steps over the last eight years um, and in truth there's so much more that we need to do um, we have probably our own worst critic and seeing all the things that we want to improve and wanted to get there quicker than we can but um, we've made big strides over the last three or four years but there's there's a lot more to come if we're to live up to the, the standards that we set ourselves 
really really interesting to to hear more about that and um yeah i guess you know as we've been saying there are these core building blocks in in maths and we know each year you know a certain number of pupils don't necessarily meet that age related expectation at the end of year 6 and you know if you're not building on firm foundations you know that there is going to be um that that continual problem throughout throughout secondary as well so really interesting to 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 hear about that kind of wider wider range and um moving on to the sort of the second um uh, part of the, the the report where um you Baz and the CFEY team were sort of looking at um the, you know in the wake of the pandemic what can an intervention like third space provide? Um, can you tell us a bit about how you how you how you did that evaluation and kind of what you found out? Yeah, sure, Caroline. So um, the way we kind of embarked on the second half is that we use the evidence we'd kind of um, aggregate in the first half to derive a kind of a specification, as it were, for what a kind of um, a successful tutoring program would need to look like, what it would need to include, particularly if it was being delivered at a national scale. So mm. for example, you know, just to give you an example of like how that derivation worked, clearly one of the findings from the first half of the report was just the scale of uh, need for um, support in uh, maths instruction, just by identifying, you know, the extent and um, uh, breadth of uh, learning loss in maths. Um, and by that and, and from that we were able to derive the fact that like any program to be able to meet this demand we need to be able to scale up like quite rapidly in order to uh, meet that demand given the kind of current situation of the uh, labor market in tutoring and so deriving this kind of specification we then turned our uh, our site to uh to tsl and we looked at tsl's uh, a mix of data from tsl we also looked at some um survey data as well from parent ping and uh, teacher tap as well which gave us some really useful insights into um the overall kind of character of the market and therefore how tsl might be adhering to it so for example i was just talking about scale we looked at um the number of um pupils that uh tsl was working with and just saw how quickly their ability to um increase their ability to meet demand uh, from pupils uh, the rate at which that was able to rise very very quickly within a very short period of time which we could take as you know uh, first order evidence of the fact that they're able to scale rapidly and therefore they meet one kind of element of our specification clearly as we were discussing earlier like um, given the kind of importance of like maths anxiety as a kind of blocker to like early maths achievement and the maths achievement overall we wanted to look at um, we wanted a spec which made it clear that uh, a tutoring program needs to uh, help young people overcome this. So we looked at uh, um, the TSL's own data that they've been gathering uh, using a well-designed psychometric process to find out young people's like confidence, their anxiety related to maths. And we were able to see um, a, pr a pretty meaningful kind of uh, pre-tutoring and post-tutoring effect where uh, young people were in many respects improving in their confidence uh, and their maths anxiety was, was lowering. Um, so given that we were seeing these kinds of areas in which third space learning was meeting this kind of spec, we were, you know, uh, reasonably concluding that in lots of respects, third space learning is uh, meeting the requirements necessary and suggested by the research for a high quality delivered at scale uh, tutoring program. Um, 
we we also do conclude with kind of like you know some kind of like development pathways and suggestions how it can continue uh in that pro in that uh in that advance towards uh doing this what tom said which is uh meeting tsl's uh, extremely high standards for themselves and this document is also in important respects supposed to be like instructive for the wider tutoring community as well in terms of thinking about how other providers may um also step up to meet this demand which is clearly you know a widespread national issue and useful for schools presumably as well thinking sure, about what they sure. can what they can expect um from from other tutoring providers that they they may be in, involved with and it probably is is fair to say at this point other tutoring providers are are available but it's been really useful to understand um more about how how third space has been designed what it how it works in practice and is is supporting a particular school and this this wider piece of research really underscoring the importance of early maths achievement. I have to say, you know, as we keep flagging my 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 lack of math skills personally, I you know I could see how something like this would have been so so valuable. Very grateful to you all for talking to us today, and thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by the Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of the Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.